Hi everyone. If you like what you've been hearing, please consider subscribing to the Patreon at patreon.com backslash Hegelbon. That's H-E-G-E-L-B-O-N. The Patreon's really the lifeblood of the podcast. It lets me dedicate the time that I need to play the games, to talk to our guests, to really set everything up and, and make everything as sharp as it is. Um, without it, uh, no cartridge really wouldn't exist the way it does today. If you don't like monthly pledges, I totally get it. Uh, there's also paypal.me backslash Hagelbon, and we can try and figure something out there. Or you can email me at nocartridgeaudio at gmail.com. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, and I will try and answer your emails as quickly as I can. Thanks so much for your support, and enjoy the show. My name's Trevor Strunk, Hagelbon on Twitter, and I have with me uh, a long-time friend of mine on Twitter, uh, mostly actually a friend that I've met since I've been doing the podcast, but we've been hanging out, it feels like we've been talking forever uh, since then. Uh, my friend Pete, at Wandle, uh, W-H-A-N-D-A-L-L on Twitter. Uh, Pete, uh, it's, fi- it's good to finally have you on. Oh, really glad to be here. Yeah, I think uh, I, I've done. I did your podcast, uh, uh, Literature Slap Fight, a while back mm-hmm. um, during during I think its first iteration, and it sort of took a hiatus, and now is back. Um, but I we've been talking about having you on for here for a while, and we finally sort of made it made it work, which is uh, very gratifying when a, when a plan finally comes together. Oh, no kidding, right? Yeah. So you are coming on to talk about sort of a. Um, you know, it's it's funny, uh, when you pitched this to me, um, you said it was an element of the show that we, we rarely talk about, and it's certainly mm-hmm. true, um, but I think since then, I've had a couple of guests uh, that I've talked to, and I'm not sure if those episodes will be out when we t- when uh, our episode's out or not, but sort of like the, the a bunch of people have been on talking about like the, the kind of nitty-gritty, the economics of games, um, not necessarily in terms of the the strictly anti-capitalist positions we take on the show. Sure. But also in terms of like how they sell their marketing, uh, their worth as commodities. So um, give everyone an overview as to like why, what, what you want to talk about. Like how are you kind of approaching this? Oh, absolutely. Well, it sounds like that the episodes that you haven't presented to us that I'm excited to listen to, by the way, uh, <laughs> I might as well plug your podcast on your podcast. Yeah, uh, I know. Yeah, no one's <laughs> listening to my podcast. Make sure to listen to it. Exactly. Um, uh, so at Hagelbon. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> the, you have been working uh, with those other ones about the external economics of a game, how it's sell, sold, marketing, all of that. I'm very interested in the internal markets within a game. Okay. Um, uh, unlike most of the people sort of in the discussion sphere we're in, 
Uh, I've got a background where I work with finance and I'm very interested in economics, even though I it's well, it's like being interested in scorpions. Like I don't, I don't want to cuddle one, but I'm I'm well aware of their capability and their value, and so the way markets behave in games are of great interest to me, and it's one of the places where a lot of games fall flat because yeah, a lot of them are essentially Potemkin villages. Sure. Yeah, I no, that totally makes sense, and I think like the the you know to 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 put another I, I, yeah I. I it's really interesting. I've never thought about the Mesopotamian villages before. That 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 threw me off because it's kind of a smart idea. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's it is a smart idea. Like the, I, it's true though that like most video games operate as this uh, this like ultra simplistic Adam Smith style series of uh, supply and demand moments, and like mm-hmm. it's even sort of an, an insult to Smith, who is much more complicated than um, say the Adam Smith Institute would have you believe. Um, Right. Who like, you know, the the sort of like the approach that is, um, I don't know, like the approach to economics embodied in video games is basically like this. Um, you know, does the market want it? Uh, yes or no. If the market wants it, it will sell. If the market does not want it, it will not sell. Um, and then just like plug and play as like the game moves on. So every market in the game has stuff that yeah, that's like a Final Fantasy thing, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, the first town has some leather armor that you're going to want when you're level two. Uh, the last town is not going to have the leather armor because you don't want it anymore. Um, it's just it's a it's a it's a it's a fixed system. It's it's fake, like you say, a Potemkin village. Yeah, well, it actually sort of uh, at least for me, it intrudes on the reality of the game because mm. like like markets or not, we're all hyper aware of them. Like in in times of a bad economy stores close uh there's less access to goods and so like you think about oh an extreme example would be diablo like who who the hell is bringing all of that stuff to that town to sell (laughs) i mean it's just mind-blowing to me there shouldn't be any food let alone like uh, leveling armor that's following up with you and like who's by like <laughs> the economics of it are just mind blowing to me. It's like you wander out into the wilderness, you kill people, you bring back armor like from three hundred years ago, you sell it to these guys. Why are they buying it? Like, right, it, exactly. It, it doesn't seem to go anywhere. Um there doesn't seem to be any life of the town. Like like markets or not, one of the things that they're very good at is acting as sort of the circulatory system of a society. And they can be broken down and they can be bad or they can be like tied to the general welfare and better than that. But fundamentally in games, um, they're, they're, they're fake. They're designed to like face you as the individual player. Um, did you play uh oh gosh what's a really good example? Oh the Baldur's Gates. Did you play those games? Oh, it's been ages and ages, but uh, I uh yes. I mean when when uh my friends and played them and I I'm sure I played a little bit of them when they came out. Okay. Well, one of the things that happened there and if well, well I'm one of those people who will like pick everything up that's not nailed down and like slowly <laughs> wander yes. to the store. Yeah, okay. So we all know the type. So one of the things that the markets did there, each individual store, like if you sold a hammer for six gold pieces, the next time you sold, it would be five gold pieces until it went all the way down to one gold piece. 
And so, and a lot of uh, CRPGs actually are pretty good at this. Like this is something that um, uh, a Planescape, uh, Planescape uh, Torment, does as well. Like I was, I was just, I was just, I've been replaying that, and you know, if you Such sell a, a good brass, game. it's so good. Um, but if you sell like a brass ring uh, for forty gold or whatever the next time it'll be 20 gold like in the same thing like they don't want to buy all your brass rings it's you know it's not it's not it's not an instant it's not an infinite source of revenue basically which is why what i used to do was like save all of those things in barrels next to the store and then fill my inventory with nothing but brass rings and sell them all at once the first time oh there you go right yeah. yeah, it's there, there's a that's interesting. Yeah, there's basically like there's always a way to fix it. There's always a way to to get around the market, which I mean, isn't like, you know, there's there's a certain ideological purity to that as well, where you think about um, libertarianism, for instance, uh, libertarianism, I think at its core is basically an ideology that says, yeah, you can get one over on the market if you just try really hard Like you you can do it. There's always a way to there's always a way to trick the market. Um, and I, I think libertarians would probably dispute me on that, but the idea is, you know, given sufficient deregulation, um, you can sell all your brass rings in one go and, and make your money, uh, without having to, uh, you know, mess around with, uh, a complex and, and Ill- irrational and vicious market. Yeah, well, there's an express understanding that the best will float to the the top, and then uh, a subtext that you are the best as a libertarian, which I think most of those guys would be shocked if they moved to a society that actually rated people based upon their value, because there's not a lot of... uh, demand for vapors in a in a constructive <laughs> society i'm sorry you know well i mean you know there's, it's just because there hasn't been a perfect libertarian society yet it's just not fair <laughs> <laughs> indeed um yeah no and it, it i'm thinking now of you know my, the one economy that really made sense to me in video games um i'm sure we'll come up with others but like did you play uh resident evil 4 i did not Okay, so Resident Evil Four is an interesting game. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's a um, it's a cool game uh, because, of course, like it, the first three Resident Evils are fairly standard and very famous. They they sort of are halfway isometric. They're shooters that are very awkward to play, um, and that sort of like adds to the the fear of them. Um, and then uh, Resident Evil Four is um, it's basically an over the shoulder shooter. Um, but it may as well be a first-person shooter, um, and it's extremely action-oriented. It's um, it's fast-paced. It plays like uh, it plays totally differently, um, and it's in this this like Andalusian town in Spain where uh, you know the the people running the town are infested with parasites and <laughs> uh, everything else is infested. It's you know it's the the town's gone completely to hell. Mm-hmm. Um, and then throughout the game, there's this guy who just you run into who just has like stuff for sale. And he's he's creepy and he like he just sort of like skulks in the corner and you talk to him and he like he like opens up his wares and you don't feel like you could trust him, but you buy stuff from him. And he's never really explained necessarily. But it was that it was a moment where it was like, yeah, you the only way you can have a merchant in this awful awful world is if he is just as damaged and twisted as the rest of this world and 
really profit isn't an issue. He's just there because um, he's there. Like there's, there's there's no logic to this market because this person is illogical. Well, uh, I, I kind of liked that. It matches the world a little bit. Do you remember the demoness in the curiosity shop in uh, – uh, oh, we were just talking about it. Planescape. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's the same sort of thing. They they design a shopkeeper with a set of wares that really fits in the world and like has some coherent value there. Like there are items there that are just ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. And I mean there are even items in Planescape that are valuable only as regard the plot, right? Like mm-hmm. um, I'm thinking of the marketplace in um in uh the the sort of like central spire town that you you start and uh kind of continue to go back to in 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 the game and there's like a guy who will start your clothes for two do- two two gold or something like that and you can pay him two gold to do it and you don't get anything out of it it moves the plot at one point but like mm-hmm. ostensibly you could pay that man two gold for that service until you were out of money um the game gives you no benefit for it but it like it has a story position and it also exists as part of like the world of planescape it's one of the things I like so much about that game. It's it's not my favorite example of this, but like even though you don't interact with them much, there's there's fishmongers. There's mm-hmm. uh, right. there's kids picking up nails off the ground and reselling them. Like they really did some thought about what uh what the ecosystem would be. And like you don't get that in so many games. Yeah, you're right. I mean the so the the woman picking up nails out of boards is a fascinating one because it's so there's there's such a there's such a Keynesian um flair to that where where you sort of look at it and you're like, "Yeah, okay. Um in a world where there is massive poverty but also just seemingly so much stuff." Mm-hmm. Um Hoarding and reselling is exactly what your character does, which is what any character does. If, if you've ever played like anything from, you know, a, uh, uh, a Final Fantasy to a um, to an Elder Scrolls game, uh, hoarding and reselling is the name of the game. But um, it's it's so interesting to see an NPC doing it um, and saying like, "Yeah, this is my job. I go around to these boards, I take the nails out, and I resell the nails." It's like, yeah, okay, of course you do. Like, of course, that's what you do. That's what you would have to do in this world. Yeah, you know, Trevor, you just jumped onto my other criticism. Uh, we can Good. talk about it later if you want, but the hey. the the big thing about markets in games is the same problem you have with games all along. Is that fundamentally they act as a teaching tool as well. Mm. Yeah. And if you think about what the markets in a game are teaching you, it's not good. Like the set of behaviors that are being rewarded, like like a lot of these are like D and D style games where you can be lawful good. Nobody plays D- lawful good in those games. What they do is they play like chaotic greedy every single time because that's where the sure. reward is. Yeah, it's more fun. I mean, I like I like playing chaotic good in these games uh, because it gives you. Uh, it basically gives you story options and like, like it increases the plot. So like in any of the, I mean, Planescape's a great example again, uh, but Fallout, any of the Fallout games are this way too. Sure. Where if you play chaotic good and you don't rely on um, laws, but you basically do nice things for people, you'll generally get more storylines uh, that or chaotic evil get you like sure. the most, re- most bang for your buck. Um, confession though. I have trouble playing chaotic evil in those games. I, 
I do too. There's a, there's a, uh, I, I never can. And like, I've, I've thought about it and I, I never can do it. I tried doing it in Ve- New Vegas and it just, it, it flopped immediately. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, someone told me that apparently in, in Fallout or I'm sorry, in uh, Planescape, um, it is like famously, uh, hard to play uh, as an evil character that like the sadism in that game is ramped up to such an intense degree by Chris Avalon. And oh, the, the other people book? writing it. You're talking about the book, aren't you? I don't know. Uh, explain that a little bit. Okay. There's a, there's a book of infinite spells. Okay. And in it, uh, in order to get greater powers from it, maybe it's not a book. Anyway, there's a book and <laughs> the book interacts with you and as you do evil acts, it rewards you more. Oh, right. Okay. So it's things like selling a companion into slavery, killing a <laughs> child. Like there are all these things. I don't know about the child one, but that's the idea. It just keeps ramping up and up and up. And man, I can't do it. Yeah. I mean, like it's 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 apparently like just uh, people have described it as just like painfully sadistic. Like people have been like, yeah, give it a try. Try playing it evil. But it's it's hard. And I mean, but again, like that's that's more of an honest representation of what it is like to be in a marketplace where you're like, okay, yeah, there there can be things that you get benefits from, but there's also sort of like social costs to those benefits where, whereas like, I think where you're going and, and maybe this isn't where you're going, but it seems to me that like when you have a, when you have a typical video game, Say, uh, what's a good example? Well, okay, so say like Monster Hunter. I've been playing Monster Hunter uh, World recently. With Is it a, good? A new game. Yeah, it's very good. Cool. Um, it's super fun. Uh, but it's um, it's a it's a game where basically, I mean, there's almost no plot, which is fine. Uh, most mm-hmm. people said, like, you know, the their their complaint about the plot wasn't that it was thin; it was that there was a plot at all. Like, <laughs> you didn't need a, you didn't need a plot. That's like that's not the point of Monster Hunter, and they're right. The point of Monster Hunter is. Hunting You're on monsters. an island. Yeah, you hunt the monsters, you carve them up if you want or not. Uh, you mine, you find stuff to get better weapons so you can go kill bigger monsters. It's a um, it's a little like uh, like a Harvest Moon or like a, a Rune Factory or um, uh, a Stardew Valley. Like it's it's a it's a it's a craft em up in, in its own way. And like um, those kinds of games have like this position where. Uh, they're, they're so they're so um uh what's the word uh simplistic or um uh basic about the markets uh mm-hmm. in their in their you know in their worlds where that like you you just find stuff in the in the field and you bring it home and you sell it and you get money for it and you go out and you find the same stuff in the field and you bring it home and you sell it and you get money for it and it's it truly is what Marx would call like the commodity fetish, where it's like it doesn't matter where any of this stuff is from; it's all the same. It's all the same uh, to you, right? Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't matter what labor went into it, or what you had to do to kill it, or or whatever. It's always the same amount of money that you get. It's always the same sort of thing you can do. You can easily pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Um, it's a one to one kind of market. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm currently. Uh, I just got PlayStation Now, which is a good value, by the way. Side note, mm. but I've started playing uh, play uh, Fallout Three on it uh, mm. for like the millionth time. But nice. this time, what I'm doing is I will only use an item that I take off a kill. Okay. 
So like I'm I'm completely sidestepping my obsession with the market and I'm trying to see like eventually I'm sure I have to buy something to make the system work but meanwhile I'm just sticking to going through that way and so far it's a very different game because uh oh gosh I you probably don't remember this but there's a high school next to the vault where you just come out and it's like full of old burnt books and you know, uh, raiders and all of this. What I normally do is I walk in there and I systematically kill everyone. I pick up every piece of tin, every nail, every burnt book, every cup, and I like do a slow hour long waddle to the nearest store and then I've got <laughs> all the cash I need. And that's, it's, if you don't do that sort of thing, it's a totally different game. And in some ways, it's a better game. So don't, yeah. don't be like me, I guess is the message here. I wonder, like, that's it opens up an interesting question where, you know, I I love uh, waxing philosophical about, like, oh, what these markets are and stuff. But there's a there's almost like a simpler thing which you just hit on that I like, which is that there's there's an element of role playing um, that I, I think, you know, is lost, I guess I'd say, if you just uh, play these games in the market. Uh, like play these games and their markets as we expect to play them. Like, okay, gather up everything and sell it. It doesn't matter if it should or should not have value. Uh, just get the value so you can buy stim packs and then like have the stim packs because you're going to need them later or like buy a better weapon. Just like, bu- you know, buff your character so that it's easier down the road. Um, whereas if it's a nuclear holocaust you're probably going to be mostly just scavenging Mm -hmm. um and then you 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 get to closer to the spirit of the game if you just kind of like lean into that um even if the game doesn't have any sort of mechanic to force you to do it so i i actually i if you ever have anyone from bethesda on i've got a pitch to make their markets a hundred times better i mean i would love to i i don't know I, i there are people who have told me they listen from gaming companies. I don't know if anyone from Bethesda has, but if anyone from Bethesda is listening, uh, this would be your time to hear a, a good pitch. Get rid of the bottle caps. Make it so there's not a <laughs> single bottle cap in game. Because could you imagine you go into the store and what you're trading is like you've got a handful of bullets and you're mm-hmm. trading it for buff out? Like just have it all based upon the barter system. And right. you could even have bottle caps as like a hypothetical uh, currency. Like that actually happened in France in uh, in Leon. There for a period of time in the 1600s, they had a currency that literally didn't exist, and they would just <laughs> track it on ledgers, and it would go back and forth between merchants. Having something like that in game would be incredibly cool, and it would be a more like. There's no way we'd actually use bottle caps. In some, on some level, like we all accept it because uh, they've been doing it for years and it's kind of cute. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean that's like that's the that's the whole story of Fallout. That like a lot of the aesthetic, a lot of the the tradition of the game is like, yeah, it's funny. Like it's cute. Yeah. It's like a it's it's kitsch, Jetson-esque. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, but I like that. I, I think like there's a, you know, there's there's a there's a demand or a, a not a demand actually. It's it's almost the opposite. Like there's a need, um, even if we don't really want it, like almost for our own good, um, in terms of this immersion and what it gives us to have this kind of realism injected into these games, where you know we we see it in 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 uh, like 4X simulators. Um, mm-hmm. 
I was I was just playing uh, for the first time Stellaris the other night, um, which is a really fun game. Uh, but it's also like it it is smart because like all those games, it basically simplifies your um, currency down to uh, its basic uh, components. So, and if I remember correctly, that's just about the only thing that game simplifies. Oh yeah, well I mean it's a paradox <laughs> game, so it's probably one of the simpler paradox games because it's not you know conquer Europe uh, yeah. <laughs> simulator, uh, which is you know they're they're really fun. They are very hard. Uh, it is it, it it always makes my head hurt. Uh, I I lost a good portion of 2002 because of one of the Europa Universalis games. So I'm I'm yep, totally with you. Go. Yep. Um, but so like in, in Solaris, what I found so interesting, obviously Europa Universalis is, uh, kind of hamstrung by the fact that it is kind of a, it's, it's, I won't say it's going for historical accuracy cause that's not quite right, but it's going for historical, um, immersion. Yeah. Uh, so it has to, it has to rely on certain things and maybe we could talk about that cause I obviously like it's realistic and it's not, but Solaris does the thing where it says, okay, your economy is based on. Uh, these three things that you have to balance. It's energy, uh, minerals, and food. And so, like, the energy is everything needs energy to work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your plants, your your various mining and, and uh, even your various energy plants, your various food farms, uh, your your ships all need energy to function as it, they have an upkeep. Uh, the minerals you use to build stuff. Um, and then the food your population needs. So it's like, okay... That works in terms of economic thinking because all of a sudden, if you're the leader of a culture, uh, effectively, which you always are in these paradox games, um, you now have to balance out those three basic but ultimately true-to-life foundational elements. You have to say, okay, what do I think is most important? Do I think my – do I want to have population growth? Do I want to have sort of a – you know, do I want to build things? Do I want to expand? Um, am I balancing like expansion with stability on my current empire? Um, and, and as you say, I think like you're absolutely right. It actually improves the econ- economics of the game or the, the cohesion of the economics of the game by taking out the money form entirely. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter that there's not like, oh, I have to pay like, you know, 7 million garbles to, to make this plant. Like, it's like, no, it doesn't matter. Like what, what matters is that it uses X amount of your resources and provides you with Y amount of expansion power. Yeah. I mean, money is usable is useful because it's representational, but Mm. I mean, in a game you're doing so much representation already. Well, what is it actually representing? Let's talk about that. And right. you, what you were talking about there with Stellaris, uh, do you know about the three currencies in North Korea? No. Oh, yeah, yeah. There, there's like red money, blue money, and white money, I think it is. But like there's there's different sets of currency that can only be used in specific items. And like that sounds like a completely arbitrary and crazy system. But like on some level, like any monetary system is arbitrary. You've just got to right, draw sure. the lines on what, what behaviors they're trying to shape. So, I mean, it's, it's as good a way as any. Um, uh, oh, wow. Can I uh, – I just remembered a friend's North Korea story. I know it's a little off topic. Can I slide it Please? in here? Okay. No. Off topic's the name of the game. Okay. So um, the, there's this guy I knew who uh, – uh, well, he was a doctor. 
And um, at one point in his career, he wrote a paper saying nice things about Cuba's medical system. Okay. And so he ended up on a list. And as a result, it's like – Oh, this, this totally happens. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of academics were invited to Chavez's uh, Venezuela for the same reason, um, which I wish I was an academic when uh, Chavez was uh, president in, uh, in Venezuela for longer because I would have loved to go. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, and, and you could just by saying nice stuff and they'd take you down and fet you, which is pretty cool. Yeah, well, exactly. And, and, and that was just what happened to him. They flew him all over the world. So like he'd be in Albania and like um, – at the time, all the cross streets were all named after Enver Hoxha. So, like, <laughs> imagine getting in a cab and trying to get to your hotel, man. It's like it's at the corner of Enver Hoxha and Enver Hoxha. It's a nightmare. <laughs> but, but it's a good nightmare. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. The, that's the kind of, like, the Hoxha's nightmare that you want. <laughs> it's like the man of whom we are all very fond. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> But what happened in North Korea is he encountered an actual Potemkin village because there was a there was a a, a mall he went to and I think I think it was called like Model Mall Number Four. It had a name like that, mm-hmm. and he he went in to I I think he was just buying like a toothbrush or something like that. But he started looking at the activity and something was strange to him. And as he looked around, he realized that people were going through grabbing items, bringing them up to the front, leaving them with the cashier, and then they'd go out shopping again, and then somebody would go behind the cashier and, like, hang the back on the shelves. Huh. Like, so their job was to maintain this particular mall for people like this guy to wander into. That's really interesting. I mean, it, it truly is, like, I mean, it, it speaks to this idea of, of game economies being a Potemkin village where, like... I'm thinking of um well something like something like um the of the very early RPGs like a Dragon Warrior or something like oh, that yeah. where um when you played those games and you walked in and you talked to guys at the gate right and this is like a classic joke that a million web comics have made fun of over the years but mm-hmm. you talk to someone at the gates and they're like welcome to uh you know whatever town this is called I can't think of a good town name but like welcome to welcome to Central Villa yeah. um and they'll they'll just yell that at you every single time you you talk to them, um, but it's not so different from a much more realistic version in like say a Skyrim or a Monster Hunter where like uh, yeah okay like there's someone at the front of the gates constantly standing there reminding you that you are going into this village mm-hmm. um, and maybe they'll talk to you about other stuff maybe they'll talk to you about like their kids or drinking or being hungover or something there's going to be better flavor text because like, they can. I found care more about I that. saw a mud crab, crab down by the creek a few days ago. Horrible creatures. You know, there's this uncanny yeah, exactly. valley thing going on. Yeah, and like it it gets closer to realism, but it's still like what is what is this person doing here? Like it's <laughs> like, <laughs> they're they're here 24/7. They have no no existence outside of standing at this gate. What is what is going on? Mm-hmm. And of course, that that extends to the shopkeepers who, even in games where they're only there for certain hours, you just like wait until literally the dot, uh, like at the minute of eight o'clock or whenever the stores open, they walk out of that door and then they go back in like clockwork. It's like a little like a little uh, series of gears. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's it. You're right. It's totally like okay. 
all of this is here for me as the player to uh, make my game run a little bit more smoothly. Yeah, and I'd like to point out, since you're the only one who ever walks into that store except the shopkeeper, why is it <laughs> ever closed when you're there? Yeah, right, like, exactly. What's going well, on? They should, it, should, it should be constantly a vacation when your character is not in town, and then when your character is in town, it is just nose to the grindstone, this is busy season. It's accounting work. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> like... Yeah, you're right. And and it's it's very interesting that way because of course um you think of games like uh and I, I bring this game up too much on the podcast, but I think it's been a couple of weeks since I've since I mentioned it. You games like Dark Souls, and one sure. of the reasons that Dark Souls is so fun and so interesting and so um well fun's the wrong word, because of course it is, but this doesn't have anything to do with that. I think you're looking it, for engrossing. Yeah, engrossing is the right word. Uh, and evocative too. Where like you you know, you, you you end up at these campfires, like the main base in Dark Souls, mm-hmm. um, and there is a guy standing there who you can talk to, but all he really says is, like, I guess we're both stuck here. You're going to die soon. I'm surprised <laughs> you're still alive. Like, <laughs> And it's like, it's not... It's it's not helpful and it's a little terrifying and it's disconnected and sort of maddening and uh, and a little psychopathic, uh, that, like every part of the game. Sure. And... That's all you get. You don't like even the even the store people. They're just like, well, I'm here until one of us dies. And it's like, yeah, that's the whole game is irrational and there's no reason for any of it to exist. And it constantly reminds you of that. Whereas but like the what's so cool about that is it's a commentary in every other game too. like every element of this game that you're in shouldn't exist. But yet, you know, continues to exist for some reason or another. And it's only because you're there. Right. Well, it's I mean, if if I had any artistic talent at all, it, it would be an amazing comic to do like interactions of these characters in the villages <laughs> after you leave. <laughs> right. Because sometimes like in a lot of them they don't even move. Right. You think about the top-down RPGs or whatever. Yeah, yeah. they just like they exist behind the counter. Like what what a what a hellscape. I mean, can you imagine not being able to leave the register? It's like, my God. <laughs> it's very it's very telling of a certain vision of capitalism. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a little too on the nose, isn't it? Yeah. Well it's also, you know, they because of course games play around with these these tropes and um I'm thinking of uh it's not Link's Awakening, it's um no maybe it is Link's Awakening. Uh yeah, the the Game Boy uh, Legend of Zelda, the very weird one. I don't know if you've ever played it, um, where no. uh, it was the first sort of portable Legend of Zelda, and it was very strange. It had it was like it took place in a totally different world. Ganon existed, but basically you were trying to like wake this character called the Wind Fish, and like bring yourself back home. And it was all all took place in a dream, and you know you were dreaming and the fish was dreaming. It was it was very trippy. Um, it sounds amazing, but- actually. It's very, very good. Like, it's excellent. Um, and, of course, you can you can play it on a ROM now because every Zelda game is totally replayable because they all kind of exist in the same... Up until, this, up until the Nintendo 64 games, they exist in this sort of top-down, uh, similar kind of, like, blocky uh, thing. Sure. Um, but anyway, like, the, the one thing that that game's really famous for is... Um, it kind of does the thing that you feel like you should always be able to do in video games, which is if I can get behind the counter, I should be able to steal something. Um, and this person is never going to follow me out. So I should be able to steal something 
not only, you know, be able to, but should be able to get away with it easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that game, you can you can walk up and pick something up. Um, you know, Zelda always has or the, the Legend of Zelda always has like three things in front of you whenever you enter a store. You go up and you pick one of the things up and it takes away your rupees that you've um, that you have or do not have. And if you don't have it, you can't pick the thing up. Um, mm. And in this, you can pick the thing up and you bring it to the cashier and the cashier makes you pay the rupees and you leave. But you can also, because the cashier doesn't move, you can walk out the door with the thing you stole um, <laughs> and you keep it. Uh, but every time you come back in the shop, um, you or any shop, uh, you're shot with a bolt of lightning and you're forced out of the shop. And your name for the rest of the game if that, for that save file is, no matter what you've called yourself, it's an all caps thief. So everyone calls you thief instead of instead of Link or Trevor or whatever. Wow, Pete or whatever. Yeah, it's super interesting. So it plays around with that, um, and it plays around with the mechanics of it, and says like, yeah, you should be able to steal stuff, and we know you want you. We know you want to be able to steal stuff, but here's another shift on you. Now that person can't move, but they know you. Um, but it doesn't. It doesn't quite get at the fact that this whole situation is irrational and unrealistic and strange yeah well it reminds me of the buckethead thing you could do in skyrim did you ever try that no well if if the if you uh if the 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 shopkeeper can't see you physically he can't call you out as a thief so you could pick up like a like a pot or a cauldron and drop it on his head so it covers his eyes (laughs) and you could just take whatever you wanted (laughs) <laughs> what <laughs> what's what what how does he react how does the shopkeeper react to having a cauldron on his head he just like wanders around like if you think about it he doesn't have eyes i guess yeah yeah it's, wow that's very strange yeah yeah i I, it's, I don't know what to say about it it's kind of creepy but it was a fun trick it's a really fun trick and <laughs> and it's one of those things that that like just like the thief trick there's some sort of commentary on the internal mechanics of the game, right? There, there's some sort of commentary about how shops work in video games. Mm-hmm. But as you said, like someone being stuck behind a cashier for their entire life and being nothing but their job in any given game is eerie and eerily uh, relevant to late capitalism. And it doesn't actually like... It's never commented upon. It just sort of exists, and you're like, yeah, everyone has their job, and yeah. everyone does the same thing. So uh, let me ask you a little bit about, like, economies in games. So, sure, you know, we've, we've been going back and forth about uh, the ways in which uh, like game economies fall flat or game economies, like, comment on capitalism but also only do so, like, blithely or without a clear... Uh, directionality to to that commentary um you know i guess like i would ask from like a from just like a very curious perspective is there a positive i don't mean like positive is a good i guess i just mean positive in the philosophical sense of like creative or like positive positing uh is there a positive way to understand economies and games like is there a way to make an economy in a game that would actually be sufficient. Um, yes, I can think of a couple of examples where it's been done. Um, yeah, so okay. one of the things uh, this I'm going to do a side mention, and I'm going to sort of come in at it sideways. Um, one of the biggest critiques that 
people in the modern era have of markets besides, you know, we we don't have enough money to get anything we want is, <laughs> well, you know, I, I mean, I've, I've got a nod to that. Fair critique. Yeah. I mean, you know. Well, they are um, they they are fundamentally infantilizing because uh, what a market will do is uh, make a product so cheap that you don't you you don't bother making it yourself until you lose the skill, and mm-hmm. then that is taken away from people and is put in this group factory setting like i i mean there's there's a lot of uh, obvious examples like i don't know how to break bread my parents knew how to break bread because they watched my grandparents do it my grandparents did it all the time and the reason is bread dropped under three cents a a loaf for a while there because factories were producing them and they do it with everything and the when you're looking at video games, video games treat you like the chosen one, which is fundamentally not anybody's experience in markets. <laughs> True, you are you are interchangeable. Absolutely, with and you you are you you can impact what's going on in the market, but you are not what's going on in the market. You know, you're you're a fish mm-hmm. in the water. And so the the games that really do a good job with that sort of market are uh specific multiplayer games. And I, I've got a couple of good examples to mind. Right. Uh the first would be, well, weirdly, Neopets. I remember you had uh Leon huh. on here at one point. Yeah. I did, yeah. And he talked a little bit about yeah, Neopets. Well, I yeah, well, he actually reminded me of it in that episode. He talked about how you could have a storefront and you could set prices on things. Well, back when I was messing around with Neopets, uh, at an age where no adult should be on that, I'll, I'll own it. But what, <laughs> what I was trying to do was just loot the game of credits. So I would go out and I would okay. find expensive items that people were excited about, like paintbrushes for pets. And I would find people crazy enough to sell them at very low prices, and I would group them onto my site. And like I would play those games in the market. And that's a very real thing with the market. You've got people making bad decisions, but you rarely see them because the market itself sort of absorbs the bad decision and price corrects to where everybody wants it. So, like, mm-hmm. good sure. or evil, that is real. And Neopets did a really good job because they set up a market and then just stepped away. It's a little like, um, I mean, it's a little like games that uh, randomize, right? Where, like, you can randomize price to a certain mm-hmm. degree and you can then, like, uh, you can game it where, like, oh, I'll keep reloading the market until I get a price that I like. Right. Um, but, in fact, like, you're, that, which, of course, that kind of lumps every bad decision and good decision into a general average. Whereas in Neopets, like you're not reloading it. You're just kind of looking for the right, next sucker. Right. Um, another, actually I've got a single player game I could mention on this. Did you ever play Patrician back in the day? No, uh, that's, that was, that was a little above my pay grade when I was, uh, when it came out, it's still like, I'm still bad at those kinds of games, but like back in the day, I, uh, you wouldn't have wanted to watch me play any sort of even remotely grand. I'm I'm showing my age, but uh, uh, oh no no no, not at all. Like I, it, it's um, I should have been able to. I was a smart kid. I I should have been able to handle it. Um, I, I think Patrician came out when I was probably like 16 or 17, so I should have been able to handle it for sure. But um, 
I was, I mean, I would, I would go at games like it was a, um, like every single game was a, was a nail and, uh, I had the sure. hammer and I would just, you know, I would group everyone. I'd be like, well, I bet I can take on this army in any given game. And I would just die. Cause I had no sense of how these Got games it. work. Yeah. Well, one of the things that Patrician did, and I, I guess there's a whole class of games like this games where you travel the world in a ship. They they mm-hmm. tend to yeah. simulate a market very well because you could say, well, England is a big producer of cloth, so cloth is cheaper there, and there's a demand for it in the New World. And so right. you, you can play those games where, yeah, I, I mean, to a, at a more remote, in a more remote sense, things like you know, Europa Universalis do it too, but you're, you don't actually have a market. You just have trading things that are points but the idea is like that prices being reflected by distance or effort is a very real market thing but that's really the only trick a lot of those single player things have because no programmer is going to spend hundreds of hours putting a bunch of things in shops that you're never going to buy because only Mm, i would care <laughs> I guess that's the other question where like you know we talk a little bit about we've talked a little bit about the things that these games teach you and they teach you that you're like special in a market and that you the the market exists to give you gratification mm-hmm. and uh, anything that you know the antagonism between you and a um a seller the antagonism between buyer and seller which is sort of like a natural thing always is about um you know, it, it should be about you trying to get one over on the seller. And, and it, it encourages this sense of like real cutthroat capitalism um, for sure. But I think like the other question would be, OK, that's bad. <laughs> um, the is there would like actually having a realistic market in these games make them any fun? And, and, and that seems to be like it seems to be like the answer is no. Um. I think that's not unfair. I can think of exam I can think of an example where there's like a perfectly robust market and it is fun. Mm. And that would be Eve Online. Oh, okay. Of course, yeah. if I'm saying if I'm saying Eve Online is fun, there's a lot of people who just, you know, hit stop on this. <laughs> <laughs> Probably Eve Online players. Uh, yes. <laughs> because they because they realize that they have to clock into their false corporations. Yeah, I mean, liking Eve Online is like liking Twitter. <laughs> right. I mean, it, you for, you form this committed relationship to it, but you don't particularly like it. <laughs> but it's also a game that people, you know, play a lot of, and you're right. Like Eve Online has a has an economy in a very real sense in that like, you know, I joke about. I I've, I've told the story a million times about the hearing that my friend uh, my one friend was like, yeah, I have my one job and then I come home and I clock into my second job that doesn't pay me anything. No, it's very true. Yeah. Yep. So like when I, I, I had a, I must've played that for about three years. And what I was, was my, my corporation's marketing guy. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> what we'd, we'd have some guys that would go out and mine raw materials and we'd have other people develop blueprints and then other yet more people would take the blueprints and manufacture items based upon the ore that was brought in and then we had a guy who would sell haul the the items that were made to a location that i determined and then i would set up the sales Mm -hmm. 
Like we had a whole production chain. And does that sound fun describing it? Well, no, of course not. It sounds nuts. But like if you're doing that with a group of people, it's like um, – does does going into a dark cave and stabbing a bunch of creatures sound fun? Eh, Not really, it, no. Yeah, yeah. But but you know, people played World of Warcraft for you know over a decade, obsessed with it, and it's the same sort of thing. Like what makes it work is the camaraderie, and what I like about it is it teaches. Uh, oh, what would I say? Competence mm. in markets, like. We we can talk a lot about whether markets are good or bad, and you know we've got we've or effective or ineffective. But one thing they are is completely owning us, particularly yeah. completely owning the left. And if there was one thing I could wish for everybody listening to this is that they would like look up how their their four hundred one k works. You know what I mean? Sure. It's like figuring that stuff out matters. And EVE Online is a game way to figure out some of the rules of a market. And I that's not nothing to me. I think it's significant. Well, and it's interesting, too, of course, because like EVE Online, EVE Online is sort of like the bitter pill where it's like, yeah, look, you can learn about the market. Um, but you also kind of learn the hard truths of the market, which is that some of it's boring and some of it's risky and some of it's frustrating and some of it doesn't work. There's failure built in, baked in. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, the risk is relatively low. I mean, of course, whenever you're in a social situation, you don't want to let everyone else down and that in and of itself carries with it some serious risk, but Mm -hmm. outside of the social risk, you're not really betting your life savings on Eve, right? Like, it's not like, yeah. oh, I'm going to open a shop where I sell these widgets. Um, I sure hope it works because if it doesn't, I'm going to go into arrears. Um, <laughs> right? Like, it's 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 yeah. a totally sort of hypothetical thing. But at it's the like, same- well, they seized my ship, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, well, like, I guess I guess I'll start a new account on Eve Online or I'll figure this out. <laughs> like the, you know, like it's it's a lesson about the market in all the right in like in, in terms of like its stakes and its function, but without the risk of, of failure that occurs when you actually enter into the market. And that, which of course, like the market's risk of failure is how the market keeps making money for the people who want the market to keep making it money. Um, mm-hmm. But like at the same point, as you said, and I, I'm, I'm drawn back to this thing about you being the chosen one in these games um, in most games, when you approach the market I mean, that's also how the market wants you to think about it. Like the market wants you to think like every one of these things is tailored to me. Like not just me as a consumer, but like me, like I go into the store and hey, look, like I get to get and especially like consumers of video games, you know, males 16 to 35, uh, the, the, the primary demographic for every who, you know, every advertiser covets, um, you go into stores and it's like, okay, um, what's useful for me and what's not useful for me? Not just in terms of, well, what, you know, I need something, I need to have, you know, this widget and not this widget or this food and not this, you know, uh, clothing today. Um, but in terms of like, well, the store should only have things that I want. Um, and if it doesn't, then like the store is bad or the store is weird or the store doesn't have like the store's not really working very well. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a totally reasonable way to experience a market in a game. Uh, but 
I think you're right in saying that games kind of trick us into thinking like that's also how we should experience markets in real life. Well, one of the things I really want to see a game do is to have items that are more expensive that simply aren't any better. Mm -hmm. You know, so you've got you've got the the magic iron swords and you've got regular iron swords. And so people gravitate towards the magic ones. Well, what if they did the same amount of damage and they just (laughs) never mentioned it to us? It's it's sort of like the uh, the secondary markets in games like PUBG or um, or I mean really anything uh, that's a it's a multiplayer game of World of Warcraft has this as well, but like where randomized objects that literally do nothing except give you some sort of uh, I mean I guess World of Warcraft's not right for this, but like Overwatch is, and so is PUBG, mm-hmm. where like the objects give you no benefit other than they make your character look different. Sell oh, for sure. unbelievable amounts of real life money, like a like a mask that has the Twitch logo on it that you could get because you got a particular box when you played PUBG. Um, that gets you um, two hundred dollars on the open market. It's like, all right, like I guess it's it's irrational, it's weird, um, it has nothing to do with any sort of practical value, but that's so much more realistic than some merchant saying like, well, I got this iron sword and then I have this better sword that costs proportionately more. Um, sure. That's not how you don't walk into a store and they're like, okay, here's the bad duct tape and here's the good duct tape. <laughs> um, like it's just, it's all branding. Right. Right. And that's, that's something that tends to be missing from games, which would probably give it a more in-depth experience. I mean, is like, I, I keep going back to good and bad and we're talking about games and that's probably not the way to look at it. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't know if it would necessarily enrich our experience to have, you know, uh, billboards and Baldur's Gate advertising specific magic rings. <laughs> but I, I think it would be an experience that we would relate to and would feel more real mm-hmm. if, like, did you, I, I, for some reason I get the impression you haven't played the Mass Effects. Maybe you mentioned it in a previous. I, I, I played through uh, one and two. Okay. Well, in one and two, like periodically you'll be walking through like that big main space station and there'll be holograms. Yeah, the Citadel. And there'll be like holograms with ads. And that was one of the most real things about that place to me is that, of course, they were trying to drill into your brain all the time. Yeah. Well, and and the other interesting thing about the ads in the Citadel was that you could – and I loved this in Mass Effect 1 – you could tell, like, the people who were, who were working there, especially as you uh, got famous for what you were doing, uh, as you continued the game, they would say, like, hey, would you endorse my product? Um, mm-hmm. And you could endorse their product for a, for a slight discount. But also, you could do that at every single store. And, you know, it was like, <laughs> it was very, you know, it was, it, it was silly because then you'd walk through and you'd hear, like, I'm Commander Shepard and this is my favorite store in the Citadel everywhere you went. Um but it was also like it was also very real in that like yeah they're not going to get their feelings aren't going to be hurt that you did it at another store the the benefit is that like you're there out front it's not that it's actually exclusive it's that the brand has your face next to it um, yeah like exclusivity is a, is a fake idea to 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 paraphrase Akewood. like the the you know, it's it's actually just that your face is there next uh, in proximity to their product, which is absolutely a very real um, or very real thing in a market. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, th- I think you nailed it on the head. It's like all of well, and it's one of the things that made those those first two Mass Effects so good is that they tried to they tried to plug into an actual emotional experience of the yes. person playing. They raised the stakes so well, and they built you up to be a hero in a way that I could accept as a player because that doesn't always happen. No, no, not at all. I think like there's a you know one of the games I've been playing off and on that I that I really like actually. It's a fun game, um, but I don't know I don't know if it's like a smart game necessarily it's a very it's it's interesting and and in terms of like the world it builds and the mechanics of it and how it like does player interaction it's cool um Mm -hmm. and 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 pretty smart but like the story is maybe not all that smart uh is dying light and uh dying light's really fun but uh it's a zombie game and in all zombie games you know your character is more or less the same except if it's Mm -hmm. maybe resident evil and definitely um uh, the Dead Rising games where you're the kind of like weird uh, photojournalist. Um, hmm. But in Dying Light, you're just like you're an American operative and you're really good at being an operative and no one's really great at beating the zombies up, but you can do it pretty well and you excel and you keep rising through the ranks and it's like, okay, like, <laughs> I've been here before. Like my person is special they 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 they're conflicted oh. but they're generally good and like oh there there's a betrayal here that's going to be referenced later on but you'll probably be able to come back and 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 prove yourself again and you know it's like okay i could play that it's fine but it's exhausting too <laughs> mhm yeah it's it's uh after a while, that sort of behavior becomes uh, incredibly frustrating. One of my favorite games of all time is Arcanum. Okay. And in Arcanum, you have the, like, well, you can set your own stats. And if you set your stats, like, to, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, your intelligence is, like, 1, your, the, the things you can understand and the things you say are completely impaired. Mm-hmm. And so at one point at the beginning, you're the survivor of this blimp crash and this person is so, supposed to, you know, runs to rescue and it's like, hey, you're the chosen one. And you start talking and they're like, oh, my God, the Messiah is an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and it just, That's I don't really know good. why, but there's sort of a fourth wall breakage there that really makes me happy. Well, it's the same thing that happens in Planescape where like if you, you there are these stats where okay, yeah, like, okay, fine, I I don't want to buff my charisma, because who cares? Like, I just want to know how hard I hit. And it's like, if you don't buff your charisma in that game, you don't get to have certain interactions, because people don't like you. Right. People are like, wow, you're unpleasant, instead of giving you quest quest, uh, paths. Right, you need, like, a pretty wizard is, like, your best choice in that game if you want to get anything done. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's, it, and that is so unlike most games, which, which give you, as a matter of course, say, yeah, okay, everyone likes you. Everyone will do the things you want to do because we want to keep the story moving along. So you're like, well, why should I ever care about wisdom, intellect, or, uh, or charisma? I don't really care about prices at shops. I'll just mine more gold. Um, right. Whereas in real life, there's a very real reason to try and be charming to shopkeepers if you are in a system where, like, if you were charming, maybe you could get a couple of gold pieces shaved off the top, right? Right. 
Of course, I also wonder fundamentally in those situations where you're literally saving the town all, all the time, why is there a market at all? I mean, wouldn't it be nice if you walked into a place and they're like, all right, open the storehouses for this guy, get some armor on him and get him out the door. That would be amazing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was something like there again, like in Monster Hunter, they do this where you, the whole premise of the game is you. Well, uh, I'm sure there's there's different purposes in all of them. But the most recent Monster Hunter is you you show up in this town, you show up in the new world, basically, and it's filled with monsters, and they're like, you don't have to kill all the monsters, but, like, all the Elder Dragons are coming over here, and we want to know why, because it's pretty destructive, uh, it's super interesting, it's this, you know, ecological mystery, and also we'd really like to settle this new world, and uh, there's a bunch of dinosaurs all over the place that keep killing us, Uh, so we have to (laughs) kind of find some way to make this work, and uh, they start you off, and they're like, um, you you get in your room, and they're like, Oh, there's a box of weapons over there. Just pick whatever weapon you want. Like, uh, we definitely want you getting out there as soon as possible. So just, like, there's weapons and armor. Pick them up if you want. And it's like, thanks. Like, that's, you yeah, know. Yeah, that's really it's, wild. It's not like, I mean, and, and it's all basic stuff. Like, you have to then craft the better versions of it, uh, which gives you sort of like a research tree or whatever. And, and you know, it's its own kind of, like, artifice. But, mm-hmm. It's nice to sort of get there and then being like, oh, yeah, uh, thanks for coming. Um, you know, you're part of this fleet that was trained to to help all these monster hunters. And it's like, um, yeah, uh, here's all your equipment, uh, which you naturally have because we don't want you to go out in there and die. It's like that makes so much sense. Uh, right. You don't, you don't even have to do much to get free stuff in the world uh, in that way. Like like in terms of like what the heroes of video games do. Uh, you know, like Nick Foles uh, will never buy a beer in uh, Philadelphia again. Will never buy a dinner. I mean, he could go to Philadelphia and probably get like an <laughs> apartment for free. Like this is like this is a world where if you have any sort of valor attached to you, people will just like shove free food in your face. Um, and we're expected to believe that the save the literal savior of the world. They're like, yeah, you know what? Uh, if you want a potion, it's still twelve gold. Hmm. Well, did you ever play Dragon Age Inquisition? I feel like I'm just name dropping games at this point. No, it's point. okay. I mean, what we're going through, I mean, we're going through different markets. So, of course, that's going to be yeah. the case. I never actually played uh, DAI. No. I, well, I, I, I can't tell you why, but <laughs> I logged about 350 hours in that game. Wow. Okay. And um, one of the things about it is that you are, uh, at least in everybody's eyes, sort of the revealed chosen pope by god wow okay so like there, there's this heavy duty everybody recognizes you as the religious savior thing going on and then you like walk up to shopkeepers and they're like uh well you're gonna have to do this for me if you want to see my best wares you know it's like <laughs> what are you even talking about <laughs> i would love i love the idea of everyone like <laughs> A world where, like, you have, like, a a Christ figure who everyone agrees is Christ, and they're like, okay, yeah, well, this is the, you're, you're certainly the son of God, everyone, everyone agrees, like, you know, it's, there's no skeptics, everyone, everyone's fine with this, and they're like, but I mean, come on, like, still gonna, yeah. still gonna <laughs> abide by the rules of society, Jesus. Well, it's and like, they're totally what? like... Well, Jesus, as long as you're in the neighborhood, here's a list of herbs we need. <laughs> right. So you're, like, out picking, like, mint. It's just 
drove me insane. Like, and, and I mean, like, obviously, I love the game, but like, fundamentally, the disconnect between the seriousness of your mission and the and the content they surrounded it with was like, I, I, I was I was mad online for hours and hours and hours, you know? <laughs> well, it's like, it's also like, it's the people talk about that in The Witcher 3. And I think like, some of the Witcher games kind of poke fun at it. But like, the difference between what Ger- uh, what Gerald is doing and then also what like um, people are asking him to do. They're like, can you fetch me like 10 pelts also? <laughs> like, I just saved the village, but OK, I guess I could pe- fetch you 10 pelts. Uh. Uh, yeah. Like that's, <laughs> but but again, like and, and we're sort of we're, we're running up against the hour, but I think it's a good way to to come to come back at this, which is like. All of this doesn't make sense, and it's all ways to bring back in the video game market where it's like you have to have a pain point of you can't just have your gear for free. You have to go out and do something that is mildly irritating but still has to be fun. So it's like go out and you know farm these pelts, and in the meantime, while you're farming these pelts, you'll get to see this particular area of the world and find treasure and maybe advance the plot or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um and while that might just be while that might be, you know, a, a sort of like well-oiled machine in terms of video game storytelling, uh, what I'm getting from you and I, I totally agree and had never thought about it is that like it's not it's not natural in terms of like how markets and how societies work to sort of like say, yeah, OK, uh, go, you know, explore the East Village by finding me. Uh, six types of artisanal coffee and bringing them back over here. And like I'll pay you a slightly more than you actually paid, or than you actually had to do via labor to get them. Like that's and that's and crazy. side note, you're the messiah. <laughs> and side note, yeah. And also, you're the king of New York City, and everyone loves you. <laughs> uh, but but I need you to I need you to kind of go to these uh, these coffee places for me if that's okay. Can you be my gopher also? Yeah, it's like it's it's a it's a totally strange thing, and I can see why you know thinking about it that way, I can see why there are so many video game libertarians who are frustrated with perceived injustices in the market, where like oh you know I can't I can't bend the market to my will, and the market doesn't seem to exist to uh, cater to me. Mm-hmm. That well, would of course be a problem in a video game. Well, and I honestly think, you know, the sort of the reverse is true, too. One of the reasons we have so many libertarians like crawling out of the sewers these days <laughs> is that the the Potemkin markets appeal to that sort of personality. Mm-hmm. Like they are the center of it. Their success is rewarded by them. And like that's no market is ever going to treat you that way in the real world. Like no. Macy's is never going to roll out the red carpet for you the way like all of these weird little shops do. And it just it there there are attitudes that are being ref, uh, enforced by these things which are not healthy. Well, and the other thing is, of course, like Macy's wants you to think that they will roll out the red carpet. Like no one from Macy's, you know, if you had the if I had the president of Macy's on, you'd be like, absolutely not. Macy's is Macy's is committed to having every customer feel like they are uh, oh. VIPs. But yes. like the the feel like there is always alighted, right? Where like you're not actually a VIP, you just feel like you're one. Um, and this is always like the customer is always right. Should actually be like the customer always should feel as if they are right. Um, and well, and a- oh, good. Oh, there's a mathematical calculation. It's yeah. like how much you invest in making this person feel good vis-a-vis how much money you're going to get to them over the course of their shopping. Right. And if one is higher than the other, that's it. 
Yeah, exactly. And like the and of course, that's like, you know, that that calculus can't be put out in front or else it would, you know, basically it's a magic lantern where like if you if you reveal the mechanics of the magic lantern, it's all going to fall apart. It's like, well, now I don't like Macy's anymore because they're treating me like a like an object, not a not a consumer. Uh, but, Trevor, you're a better person than I because the analogy I was coming up with was prostitution. Magic letters is much better. <laughs> well, you know, it's it, but it's not even prostitution because, of course, like sex work is is. I mean, it's contractual. It's like yeah, you, you well, it's actually, legitimate work. Yeah, and you contract out a, a service. You say like, hi, you know, like I. I am, I, you know, I am, I'm giving, you know, I, I am providing a, a service of, of, you know, basically being a sex worker and uh, a person is going and saying like, I would like to, you know, I would like to engage. I, I need some sort of like, uh, I'm trying to, I'm not actually like hedging because I'm embarrassed, but because there's so much, ver- there's so many various ways you can interpret sex work, but basically you're asking yeah. for sexual or emotional support. And someone is offering sexual or emotional support and you kind of shake hands and say, like, sounds good. Let's go for it. Whereas Macy's is like Macy's isn't even telling you that that's what they're doing. They're not saying like, hey, yeah, I know that when you come into a store, you need to feel a little special. Like you can't just feel like you're another object uh, within these walls that we care about just as much, if not less than um, the various linens we're selling you. Uh, So we're going to make that we're going to give you a little little fantasy here. Um, Right. Like they don't tell you that. Video games tell you that. Video games kind of explicitly tell you that by saying, like, okay, look, you're not actually the Witcher, but <laughs> in this game you can play as if you are the Witcher. Um, but they are immersive, too, so that, like, that feeling of I'm very special and when I enter a store I am very special becomes so naturalized that you never think to question it. Like, you never think to say, like, oh, you know, the people at Southwest aren't being nice to me because – that's their corporate structure and that's how they get people to keep coming back. They're being nice to me because like I'm important. Right. Yeah. That's, I mean, and, and that's true. Like the, the interesting thing about it is that we're talking about the real world dealing more in fantasy than the game is. Yes, absolutely. And like the, the game elides the fantasy only insofar as like you are immersed in the game, like no one's ever going to say, oh, I believed I was the video game. And if they do, they're, you know, they, they are too attached to the video yeah. game. There are <laughs> other problems at yeah, that there's, point. There, there's something else going on as opposed to the <laughs> realism of the marketplace. Um, but yeah, I mean, like the as you are immersed in the video game, there's a naturalization going on, which I think like, you know, again, goes back to this idea of the commodity fetish where you stop thinking about. It's not just stopping to think about it's not it's not just ceasing thought about where your commodities come from. It's ceasing thought about like your relationship to that system of commodities in general. Mhm. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sorry to come to the conclusion at the end. I I is there is there anything that you want to add? Is there anything that you you want to you want to sort of draw in there cuz I I find this super fascinating. I like this was very clarifying for me. Oh well, I'm glad. It's actually, actually, I I learned a lot from this too. Uh, it's it's one of the one of the things that I find very interesting about interacting with you and your podcast is uh, my understanding of economics is very hard knocks. Mm-hmm. Like I've had sure. to learn had to, I've had to learn how these things work for my job, and my theoretical basis is extremely weak. And like, oh, by the way, uh, the the work you're doing with uh, capital, 
is oh, yeah? amazing. I'm really Thank grateful you. you're doing that. Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah, I uh, I feel bad because, of course, well, this will be broadcast later, so hopefully I'll be, you know, two or three further along. But unfortunately, because of the Super Bowl uh, this week, I, I'm behind on everything. So I'm going to uh-huh. I'm going to put out my main episode on tonight on Wednesday and then uh, Capital's going to be delayed. So it's nice hearing something nice about the book club because I'm feeling guilty about it anyway. So mm-hmm. that's that's helpful, actually. Well, if uh, it's any comfort, I, I lie to my subscribers all the time. Mm, it's constant. Okay, so, Great. yeah, it's very normal. <laughs> Well, I'm sure I'm sure the subscribers of No Cartridge feel awfully lied to, um, and that's, that's, that's the No Cartridge promise. Um, well, yeah, no, thank you. And I, I mean, it's it's you know, I think ultimately, Zach Merrill is a is a uh, someone everyone should be following on Twitter. Uh, I forget what his what his at is now. I should probably know that before I tell people to follow him. But um, he he's worked for the DNC. Uh, he's he's a really really interesting guy. Good good leftist. Um, and he's told me in the past, like his, his sort of take uh has been you know like look uh there's really no reason uh people on the right wing should have all the money like i get that we all don't like capitalism and and that's fine and and there's good reason not to uh, and and mm-hmm. i don't like it either but while we're stuck in capitalism <laughs> you know better that the good people have a little more money to use to do good um and there's something to that there's something to like the idea of understanding both arms of it like understanding exactly how things work and exactly how money is made and spent by massive corporate entities, but then also understanding enough theoretically so that you can say like, uh, look, when you lie to me about this, um, it's going to be compelling on some level always, but I can always kind of come back and say like, I don't really believe you for these reasons. Mm-hmm. Well, it's one of the things that I, I honestly, I kind of despair in, in interacting with the left. I, I agree that, uh, that markets and finance and all of this stuff is extremely prob- problematic and it hurts a lot of people. But we can't afford to be so petulant that we ignore it. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. like working together to look after one another. I don't know, establishing a gift economy. Like there's all sorts of things. But like fundamentally, the first thing we need to do is pay attention to how it works. And it's one of the great things about your book club um i i i i just i i hope that over time we can figure out some better strategies besides um everybody setting up a GoFundMe and we give to each other <laughs> yeah right of course i mean the, and you know i thank you and i think like you know what i what i would say to sort of close off uh my arm of it is to say that that's really like when when and I'm sure it's apocryphal. And I said in the book club, I'm sure it's apocryphal. But there's a story about um, either Henry Ford or Andrew Carnegie. I can't remember having a, a dog-eared cap, uh, copy of Capital that had like underlining on every single page. And the reason that would like the reason that's interesting and the reason that's that's um, evocative, even if it's not true, is um, it, that's exactly how the book works. Like the book is just an explanation of how capitalism works. And like, yeah, it gets certain things wrong and it, it doesn't uh, anticipate other things. And yeah, it needs to be updated in certain ways. But it's this it's this understanding of how it all works and how it sells you this this like thing that otherwise no one would want. Um, it sells you this like, you know, horrible competition, this horrible sort of like competition where you either win or die and packages it in such a way that you say like, well, that's logical. 
that's reasonable. <laughs> and it's not, right. it's, it's not, I mean, there is, there is moral outrage. There is ethical outrage from Marx, but a lot of the book is like, okay, so how does this happen? Like, how do we get here? Like, how does this work? What are the functions of such a, such a society? And like, it, it's not untrue that the capitalists would like to know that just as much as the communist. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Like, like we, we all just got on this bus. Like, fundamentally, uh, we didn't all sit down as a group and vote for capitalism or anything else. Right. Like, those decisions were all made a long ago, and we're here now. And, I, I mean, I, I guess I'm, I'm not saying anything revelatory here. I'm just agreeing with you strongly, and it's <laughs> – yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's depressing, but it's also – I don't know. I think it's something we're all learning as, like – as things get worse and we're seeing people with GoFundMe is saying like, I need this money to either to get like healthcare or to just keep living. I mean, it's like, that's never, that's never a bad thing to ask. And, and certainly like asking for money, I would never, I would never shame anyone for having a GoFundMe. Oh yeah. Um, like do ask if you need it. Absolutely. Yeah. But like, I think we're all realizing as we do them and as we feel more despair about them, that they are not like, that's not a sustainable solution. I don't think anyone has any illusions that um, giving in such a way that some get skimmed off the top for massive corporations that then stand in for government services is uh, is a is a sustainable solution. And as we're sort of like despairing about that, um, I don't know, like either either we get more sad or we turn our eyes to something that produces and uh, dare I say disrupts uh, capitalist uh, yep. society as such. Hey, have I know we're wrapping it up, but have I ever talked to you about my idea of a gift chain? No, I don't think you have. Like sort of okay. like a blockchain? Uh, well, sort of. Uh, it's, a, it's a Polynesian island thing where in mm. order to maintain the relationships between I- islands, you would, you, would, you would give a loan to the next island. It would be a thing like an important ceremonial object or work of art or you would send food over or whatever it is. But the idea is they would sort of rotate this gift-giving chain – to you know, reinforce the the culture and relationship between the different groups, mm. and I really think the left should sort of do something like that to create like a, a gift giving chain between us. Like, imagine if um, one person, like I don't know, started making and giving sweaters to everybody in the chain, okay. and somebody else was I don't know baking bread. Like the the idea would be to. Uh, demonstrate that in some small ways we can step away from the parts of the economy that are hurting us mm. and also showing that connection between people. I I mean, I don't know how practical it is, but I really like the idea. And, you know, it's, it's, it comes back to this other thing we were talking about earlier. It's this, um, uh, and, and weirdly, uh, in, um, I think it is in, uh, it is actually in, uh, Link's Awakening, that big game Boy Zelda that I was talking to you about, mm-hmm. um, there's this thing where you basically do like a red paperclip kind of thing before the red paperclip was a thing where you get a thing, you get an object and you find out who needs the object and you trade them for another object and then you use that object to get a different object. And at, at the end, it produces this like, you know, powerful item that is optional. Like you don't have to go through those paths, but you can. Um, sure. And that sort of thing, like disconnected from disconnected from self-interest in some way or another like is is a powerful and not usually explored alternative to uh, economies and video games that like basically is if someone needs the thing you have 
and they want it and they need it or that's like you can give it as a gift or um, there's some sort of mutually acceptable way that you can like help support each other. Um, that's good and you should do it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not that's not an impulse that's in a lot of video games. And that seems to me like, you know, contra what maybe like Matt Chrisman would would argue um, that would be something that like if you included it in video games could be a, a very beneficial uh, impulse. No, I agree. In fact, they mock it. Like, think of how many games have a beggar near the market where if you give him money, nothing happens. Yeah, exactly. I always give those beggars money because I, oh, yeah. I, I like symbols, I guess. But yeah, I always I always just give them money and it yeah, it does nothing or they steal it or whatever. Yeah, of course. Right. Like, that's that's absolutely something that happens in video games. Like the idea of no free lunches is, is all over it. And I think like having something where you are where you are given like incentives or even just like you're shown a version where like it's not a free lunch it's a mutually um beneficial society Mm -hmm. i think like that is i don't know that would be that would be hugely important excellent well i trevor it's always a pleasure to talk to you yeah it was really nice to talk to you again i I, you should i would love to come back on your podcast anytime um uh, tell us, wait, uh, before you go, so, like, you're you're at Wandle, you're at yep. W-H-A-N-D-A-L-L. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us about your podcast. Tell us about what you're doing. Oh, sure. Uh, well, it's it's called Literature Slap Fight, and at its best, it is about uh, 1920s authors and their relationships with each other and how they sort of resemble, like, rap beefs. Like <laughs> okay. sort of the, the arrogance of the people involved, their interaction with other, the, the, their bizarre backstories, their unusual deaths. Like that's something I, I've, I was always been fascinated by. And just being able to do like a deep read of one author and present him to people is a lot of fun. At, nice. its, at its worst, it's me like wandering around and muttering and looking for my keys. Like I, I think I'm getting better, but like <laughs> fundamentally it's hard for me to stay on track. So <laughs> – I think that's the worst case scenario for every podcast uh, <laughs> that's ever existed. So you're okay. You're in good company. Well, I don't know if you saw, but like the the most the the episode I did back in January was about urban legends about rats. Like I just went off the path completely. But hey, I enjoyed it. So now that's a great episode. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> well, um, yeah. So so listen to Literature Slap Flight. Find it online. Is, is it have a Twitter account? It uh, yeah, it is uh, lit slap. Uh, it's slappy lit, actually, at slappy lit. At slappy lit. Yeah, so follow that, too. Um, it's a good podcast. I'm on one episode if you need, you know, if you like this show and you want an intro, um, I'm, on an, I'm on a podcast. I'm on an episode, I think, it's months old at this point, but, uh, but yeah. Um, and, yeah, please, come back anytime. This was really fun. Awesome. Okay, well, right. uh, hope to talk to you soon, man. Talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.